Well, if you have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 3, would you shout really loud, amen? Amen. Amen. I'm glad that you do. Let me welcome you into the final week of this series where we have been thinking together about the idea, the concept of being transformed. Do you remember when we began this? By the way, it's been a while. It's been a couple of months. It was all the way back on Easter Sunday. April the 4th, I think, was the date. When we began to think about how it is that Christ is committed to transforming our lives. We started in John 21. We talked about the transformation of the apostle Peter, whom Jesus transformed from being a, really a failed disciple, a, a quitting a disciple, to being really the lead disciple on the day of Pentecost and the disciple or the apostle to the Jews. God, uh, through, or, uh, Christ radically transformed his life. And then we spent a couple of weeks talking about different people who were transformed by Jesus. We talked about Paul the Apostle, who was the persecutor that became the preacher. We talked about Mary Magdalene, who was a demon-possessed woman who became a devoted disciple of Jesus. Uh, most every week through this series, we've heard some stories from people within our church who have told wonderful testimonies and been very real and transparent about the ways in which Christ has transformed their lives. And those have been so inspiring and so encouraging to us. And I should tell you, by the way, that we, we had more of those than we could use in service. And so the ones that we have not seen in service are going to be on social media. And you'll see them in your uh, social media feeds over the next couple of weeks. And I hope you'll take a look at those. We also uh, spent a Sunday talking about the purpose of transformation. I asked this question, why is God so committed to changing me and you? What is he so serious about doing this for? And the answer is that he wants to change the purpose of our lives. And the old me cannot do what God wants the new me to do. And so he's committed to transforming me so that I can be a witness for him. Matthew chapter 4 was the text on that Sunday where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And here's what we learn, that if we are going to fulfill God's purpose for our lives, we must be a witness. By the way, that's the reason you should take this summer training on how to share your faith. It is the purpose of God for our lives. And so as I'm going about my life and, 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 and uh, living out my family life and uh, involving myself in my hobbies and pouring myself into my career or whatever it is, those are not the primary things in life. Christ and his gospel is primary as I involve myself in all of those other activities. It's the purpose that he has given us to go and be fishers of men. We spent several weeks talking about the how of transformation. How does the process work? I talked to you about a three-legged table. That is that these three influencers that God uses in our lives to change us. The Holy Spirit changes me from the inside out. The Bible pours truth into my life, and the, word, or the people of God, the church, are the people that guide and direct and help me as I am being changed. We talked about the spirit on the inside, the Bible in our hand, and the church surrounding each of us. In fact, I want you to write this down somewhere, maybe on the inside cover of your Bible so that you'll always see it and never forget it. It's a really simple truth, but it's profound. I need the Holy Spirit, my Bible, and my church. I want you to know that. If I'm going to be transformed, I need the Holy Spirit, 
my Bible, and my church. In fact, that's so important. I want you to say it out loud with me. I know you're writing it down, but you can talk and write at the same time. Let's say it. I need the Holy Spirit, my Bible, and my church. And if I pull away from any of those three, then the work of transformation is short-circuited. Well, it's these three, these three uh, influencers that God is using to change us in a process which is a progressive, lifelong process that we call sanctification. And it's by that process of sanctification where slowly and over time and, and bit by bit and ever more and more, God is making us, transforming us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Is it working for you? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Now, I'm talking to those of you who know Christ as your Savior. Is your life taking on more of the characteristics of Jesus Christ? Are you a little more like Jesus today than you were eight weeks ago? It wasn't long. It's only eight weeks, but maybe just a little bit more like Jesus. Are you, are you a little more like Jesus today than you were a year ago or a few years ago? I bet you are. I bet that process is at work. And I know that God is committed to it. And I'm confident that he is working that transformation within you. In fact, let me give you a word of, of uh, advice. When you gather in your small group this week, if you're not in a small group, I encourage you to get in one. But, but when you gather in your circle of your small group, why don't you take a few minutes and encourage each other by sharing what you see and someone else as to how God is changing their life. I see Jesus in you in this way, you could say to them and encourage them. Because the truth is, we often don't see it in ourselves, do we? We, we miss it. We, we think it's not really happening, and other people see it. And we can get great co uh, confirmation of it and encouragement in it when someone else shares that with us. But you know, you might say, well, yeah, it is working. I am being changed. I am being transformed, but just not enough, right? You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, I, I am becoming more like Jesus. I just wish I was more like Jesus than I am. Can I get a witness? Am I the only one in the room that ever feels that way? No, we all do, right? We, we, we wish that we were making more progress than we were. We wish that the changes we're more dramatic than they are. Well, I've got good news for you. And the good news is that one day your transformation is going to be so dramatic and it is going to be so complete that you would not even recognize the person that you will be. One day you are going to be changed completely and instantly in a moment of time. Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul writes, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I love that word completion. I want you to know it's going to be completed. The work of transformation that God has begun in you and that he's progressively working in you through his spirit, by his word, through his people, this work of sanctification, making us more and more like Jesus, Paul says he is going to finish it. 
He is going to complete it. And in that day, you would not even recognize yourself. We're going to talk about this today. We've spent a lot of weeks talking about how our transformation began and how it processes. Today I want us to talk out of 1 John chapter 3 about what the end of that process looks like, the end of that transformation. Look with me. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Only three verses today. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed or lavished upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every person, every man that has this hope in Christ purifies himself even as Christ is pure. Now, if you're a note taker, I want you to take your pen and I want you to jot out in the margin of your Bible next to verse number one, just write the word family. Family. This is a family passage. He talks about the fact that we are the sons of God. And then in verse number three, in the margin, write the word resemblance or resemble. Because he says in verse number three, if we have this hope in Christ, if we're in the family of God, then our life should be like or look like, or in this case specifically be pure, even as Christ is pure. This passage talks about the family resemblance. Why don't you jot that down? It's important for you and I to know that we, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to bear a family resemblance. We are meant to reflect the resemblance or to bear the resemblance of our family, the family of God and of our Father, our Lord Jesus. Now, by the way, every child resembles their parents in some way or another. Maybe you look a lot like your mom or dad. Uh, maybe you don't look so much like them, but there is some measure of resemblance. People say to me all the time, when they see me with my mother, they will say, you look just like your mother. Or they'll say to her, you, you can't deny him. He looks just like you. And I do. I, I look like my mother. I have a younger sister. She looks like my father looked. We all bear the resemblance of our parents. In fact, sometimes the resemblance is uncanny. Sometimes it's downright creepy, to tell you the truth. Sometimes parents and their children look like identical twins. In fact, I had a little fun with this this week. I, I, uh, I looked for some families or some people who the son or the daughter looked exactly like the father or the mother when they were the same age. And just for fun, I brought four pictures today. Are you ready? So here's the first one. Check this out. Is that crazy? That is not the same man, all right? On the left is the father. And obviously they staged the second photo uh, with the position and the clothing. But he looks just like his dad looked at that time. There's no way that somebody would see those two and go, man, I, I could never tell y'all were related. They look just alike. The, the next one's really cute too. 
Little girl looks just like her mom did. Look at this next one. This is my favorite one. Check that out. That's amazing to me. I mean, you just switch the clothes, put the officer's uniform on the kid, and you would think he was his father. They look exactly like one more. This is, this is a good one. Check that one out. <laughs> now, the point of this is that children look like their parents, and we ought to bear the resemblance of God. Now, I could have told you that from the text without the pictures, but it wouldn't have been nearly as much fun. And so we needed to, we needed to see the pictures today. Now, even if the similarities that a child has with their parents are not physical, and sometimes they're not that noticeable you know, physically, but very often they will resemble their parents in other ways, you know, with the same personality or mannerisms or voice inflections or even values and things like that. The point is parents and children look alike. And so what John is saying to us in this passage is, look, we are the sons and the daughters of God. We are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, there should be a resemblance in our lives to what God is like. He begins in verse number one just by being moved by this amazing love that God has demonstrated to us. Look at verse number one where he just, it's almost as if he, he shouts out in, in joyful exasperation, behold, what manner of love. I mean, it's almost phrased as a question. It's almost like John is saying, who loves like this? I mean, who does this? How is it possible that God could love us so amazingly? What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us or the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God. A rebel has been made a son. A worthless one has been given the honor of being the son of God. A pagan has become a prince. John says, we have been brought from all places in life and we are gathered to God's family and we are his sons. Well, I think you would agree with me, wouldn't you? And we would agree with John. That is an amazing display of the love of God. In fact, if you'll turn one page, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10, listen to how he explains it in this verse. He says, herein is love. This is love. Not that we loved God. Stop right there. He doesn't say the amazing thing is that you and I have a love for God. That's not the definition of love. In fact, our love for God is a response to God's goodness and his love for us. Does the scripture not say we love him because he first loved us? So when you and I display love for God, well, that's wonderful and right, but it's not it's so amazing. What's amazing, John says in 1 John 4 and verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but rather that he loved us and that he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means covering, that he covered us, he protected us. If you've ever uh, ridden down the road with your grandmother or your mother, they are in the habit because they, we, didn't grow up wearing seatbelts, and when you slam on the brakes, you throw your arm out, right, to protect the person sitting next to you. 
We still do it because we're in the habit of it, even though we have to wear seatbelts now. We throw our arm, we're covering them. We are their propitiation. We're covering them. Well, Christ took our, our judgment, our punishment. He covered us so that the punishment for our sin would fall upon him. He says, that's love. That's amazing love that God would let his son Jesus die for us. You know, Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It's in that verse that Paul said that God has demonstrated, he has displayed his love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, before we were sons and daughters, while we were yet sinners, Christ has died for us. Do you understand? John talks about this way in which God has loved us so fully. And he says, it's amazing what manner of love God has lavished upon us. In 1738, the Wesley, uh, one of the Wesley brothers, Charles Wesley, wrote that great old hymn, And Can It Be? Do you remember that song, And Can It Be? You might have grown up in church singing it. It says, And can it be that I should gain an, entrance in the, an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Do you agree? That's amazing love. My wife Tracy sometimes sings the newer hymn that says how deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he would give his own son to make a wretch his treasure. It is amazing love that he has displayed for us. And John says, behold, how can we even comprehend such incredible love? And then he's also moved by the amazing result of God's great love. He goes on in verses 1 and 2 to say, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that has produced this result, that we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. That is the result of this amazing love, that we have not just been doted over from a distance, but we have been invited into God's family, and we've been adopted as his sons and daughters. We're sons, we're daughters. The word simply means a, a young child. It's not gender specific necessarily. It's, it's not just a son, it's a son or a daughter. But it means one who is not fully developed. One who's immature still. It even means one who's been adopted. And consider the use of this word sons in the context of the entire book. Go back to 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says, little children, my little children. He uses technion is the, group, uh, is the Greek word. It, it means an infant. And he uses this word in verse 1, verse 12, verse 28, where he calls us little children. Again, in chapter 3 and verse number 7, little children. Chapter 3 and verse number 18, my little children. Throughout the book, John says, we are the, the, uh, the little children of God. We are the sons and the daughters of God. Those infant offspring, the not yet fully matured ones, the ones that are still in process, that have just been brought into his family, and yet we're still children. Now, just like every child that is born to parents is born completely, desperately needy, 
quite messy, to tell you the truth, and a bit wobbly when they begin to move about and walk. Any parents in the room? Can I get a witness? When we bear children, they require a lot, right? In the same way, when we are made the children of God, the little children, the sons and daughters of God, in the same way, we come into God's family desperately needy, quite honestly, a bit messy, and sometimes a bit unstable and wobbly in our walk. But God's a good father, amen? He's a good parent. And in the same way that every parent has experienced helping our children grow from toddlerhood even to adulthood as time passes, God does the same thing. Have you ever been as a parent in a public place where your small child did something, said something, acted in a way that was completely inappropriate? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, maybe they yelled out something or they broke something or they threw a temper tantrum. Something happened that was completely inappropriate. And if, if you're a good parent in that moment, or if you, I shouldn't say if you're a good parent in that moment because you'd be a good parent and mess it up in that moment. I sure have. But, but what you want to do as a good parent in that moment is understand that they're little and they're going to grow and kind of just help them through the moment. You know, you say things like, well, he's a monster, but he's my monster. Something like that, you know. He'll get past it. He'll grow up. Well, I just want you to know that in the same way, when we struggle and we stumble and we fail, we are God's little children. And God, you know, he might have to say of us sometimes, well, he's a monster, but he's my monster. And I love him so much. Well, by the Spirit and by the Word and in the church, he gets us through those monster moments, doesn't he? He helps us to grow. We mature where we're no longer little children, technion, little infants, but we grow to be more mature sons and daughters of God. And all of us want to be more fully transformed than we have been. All of us wish that we were further along in the process. And if we'll cooperate with the Lord and the dwelling Holy Spirit, and if we'll be in his word, and if we'll participate within our church family, then he will grow us. But My message to you today is to say that what you've experienced so far in that process of becoming like Jesus, one day is going to be advanced dramatically and instantly. Listen to what Paul writes in verse number two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. You might underline those two words or three words, what we shall be what we are, and what we shall be. Do you see the change within that verse? We are one thing. We shall become something more. There shall be a transformation. Write it down this way. He's teaching us about a dramatic change that's coming. You are going to be different in dramatic ways one day than you are today. It's like the old country preacher said, I ain't what I was but I ain't what I'm going to be, right? Will you help me preach? Will you tell your neighbor you ain't what you're going to be? You got to say ain't though. You ain't what you're going to be. Tell them. Sorry, parents. You're not what you're going to be. God is going to work a radical transformation in us. 
He says in verse number two, right now, today, by the grace of God, as we sit in this place, having met Jesus as our Savior, we are the little children of God. We are the sons and the daughters of God. But what we will be is not fully revealed. Look at verse two. It doth not yet appear. It means it's not fully revealed yet. We have an idea of what we will be, but we don't know for sure what that existence will be like when we are with the Lord. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but there are some things that we can know. By the way, there are a lot of unknowns in our Christian walk, aren't there? There are some things that God has revealed fully and freely, and there are some things that that the Bible calls them the secret things that he holds to himself, and he'll reveal to us one day when we're with him. And one of those things is what heaven is going to be like uh, fully and what we will be like when we arrive in heaven. We have some ideas. We, we, it's like we see through a window that's sort of glazed over. We see a little bit, but we can't fully comprehend it. It's kind of like it was with Jesus. You know, when, when Jesus was here, even his disciples didn't fully understand him. They misunderstood him often. His glory was shrouded in his humanity. They saw glimpses of his power and his glory through healings and walking on water and miracles and things like that. But then, you know, right after the miracle was over, he was just walking with them again like a normal man. And so it was, just, it was, it was uh, shrouded, his glory was shrouded by his humanity. Yet there's one passage in Scripture that gives us some full, complete sense of what Jesus really is like. No no symbols, no icons, no imagery. It's a full-throated, open picture of what Jesus Christ is really like. I want to show it to you. Turn over a few pages to Revelation chapter 1. It's just three or four pages forward. Look at Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. John is on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day, he, he receives a visit from Jesus. Jesus literally appears to him, gives him the, uh, the revelation. But verse 12 says, And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, there was one standing like the Son of Man, clothed with a robe down to the foot. He was wearing across his chest and shoulders a golden sash, His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet, like they had burned in, uh, like they were brass, as if they had burned in a furnace. His voice was as the sound of many waters. He had in his hand, in his right hand, seven stars, and out of his mouth goes a sharp two edged sword. And his countenance, was as the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now, I don't know if there's a, there's a more full revelation of Christ in his glory anywhere in the Bible than in the passage that I just read to you. John turns to see him. He's able to make out some of these descriptions. I saw his hair. I saw his robe. I saw the sash. I could, I could see his eyes. But it was like looking into the sun in the middle of the day. I I, I had to cover my face. If you've ever looked up into the sun, goodness, if I even looked directly into these lights, I have to do that. When you look into the sun, it's blinding. 
He says, when I looked at him, I, I, had, to, I had to cover my face and I fell like a dead man. John saw Jesus for who he really is. Now, I want you to go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse number 2 and let's read it together again. Listen to this promise. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. It's shaded. We don't really fully know. But here's what we do know. That when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. John saw him that day. And John in his humanity fell like a dead man before him. But when we see him on this day we will be able to fully know him and fully grasp his glory. And not only will we see him, if y'all listening, shout amen. amen. Look at the rest of this verse, verse two. Not only will we see him, but we shall be like him. And all God's people said, whoa. That's what the Bible says. We shall be like him. Now don't misunderstand it. It's, it's not the word that we're in the image of him. We don't become little Christs. We're not, we, we don't become gods. The word like him means we will resemble him. We will share similarities to what he is like. The point is that the process of transformation that began at our salvation, that has been processing by the Spirit, through the Word, with his church, over the course of our lives, will be completed when we see him and we will be made to be like him. We will share in some parts of his nature and of his glory. In fact, the Bible says this in another place. Philippians 3 and verse 21 says it plainly, but Christ shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. It's going to happen. So you say, well, Pastor, what will that be like? What will I be like on the day when, when I'm made to be like Jesus? Well, what is Jesus like? Well, look at chapter number 3, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 3. It says, every man that has this hope in Christ purifies himself even as Christ is pure. Write that down. That's one thing that we know Christ is, that is true of Christ. He's pure. And that means that when we see him, we will be pure. Can I just tell you something? Can I just make a confession right now? All of you already know it's true. I'm not a perfect man. In fact, I'm so broken in so many ways. Sometimes, so many times, my attitudes are wrong. So many times my actions can be wrong. So many times my inaction is sin when I fail to do the things that I should do. I wish I was a better man than I am. And I bet you feel the same way about yourself. And I promise you, if your wife is like my wife, she feels that way about you. <laughs> Trish and I were at dinner this past Friday night, and uh, you know, the mask mandate was lifted, and restaurants are opening back up, and it was wonderful. And we went into our favorite pizza restaurant that we, that we hadn't been into in a year and a half, and, and we were sitting down. And, and I got to tell you, I was kind of copping an attitude about some things, and, and I just kind of made some comments here and there about, not about her, but about the, the things around me. And... Um, and I looked at her and she said, shut up. <laughs> she said it sweetly and she smiled. But you know what? She was right. I just needed to shut up. Because, I mean, my attitude was bad. It was, it was wrong. 
And the truth is, all of us are that way, but I'm telling you, the day is coming, and I'm so happy to announce this to you as a fallen and imperfect man. One day, I will never have to say to Jesus again, I'm so sorry, please forgive me for that. It'll never happen. Because when I am with him, I will be absolutely perfectly pure as he is pure. Now John says in verse 3, we ought to be be, uh, surrendering now more fully so that we will be pure. He, every man that has his hope in Christ, is purifying himself. I want to be purifying myself now by the power of the Spirit through his word within the church. But one day that purification of my life will be complete. Secondly, Jesus is strong. And by that I mean he has vitality. He's healthy. Jesus died for us. He was pierced in his hands and his feet and his side. He, he suffered and died a horrible death. His life's blood drained from him. But immediately after that, on the third morning, he rose from the dead and he said, see my hands and my feet. It's me. It's not a ghost. It is my body. And I am alive and well. Can I tell you that one day we will be healthy and strong forever. You know, in this life, sickness steals our health. It robs the vitality of people that we love. Sometimes it takes the very lives of the people that we love. And we, we, we hate things like cancer and we, we hate these diseases that take our lives. And they drain the strength out of us. You hear this, Pastor, this morning. Christ is not sick. Christ is strong and healthy. And when I see him, I will be strong and healthy forever. And so will you. And so will our loved ones. We will be like him. In fact, the Bible is explicit to tell us in Revelation chapter 20, chapter 21, that in heaven, when we are there, there is no more death, no more sickness, no more disease. Verse number two, we shall be like him. He is pure. He is strong. Number three, he is immortal. He's eternal. He lives forever. Revelation 1 and 18 says, Jesus speaking, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus said, I live forever. We live in this life through a process of transformation, knowing that ultimately, should the Lord tarry his return, ultimately this process of transformation to be more and more like him is going to end with our demise. It is going to. Our death. We know that one day we will die. And yet the Bible promises that once we are at home with Jesus, we will never die again. Amen? In fact, the Bible says this. Jesus said, he who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so we will live with him forever. Well, he says in these verses, it's an amazing amount of love. What manner of love? Who loves like this? God has loved us enough to give his son that we could be called his sons and daughters. And he's made us this promise that one day we will be like him. Now, when will that transformation be completed? When will it occur? We'll write it down, then we'll see it in the passage. Our transformation will be complete when Christ appears. Now, I should say that when we leave this earth, when we die and we go to be with the Lord, if we know Christ, we go to be with him. Our transformation is complete at that point. We're with the Lord. And yet the consummation of all of it, the transformation of every believer will occur only when Christ comes. I want to close by sharing with you two passages 
The first one is in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. Just one verse there. Colossians 3 and verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory. And by the way, it doesn't mean that when Christ comes, you will be with him in heaven, as if glory is another name for heaven. No, it means when Christ appears in all of his glory, you will be with him and you will be in all of your glory. So the process of transformation will be complete on that day. One last passage I want to read to you. And honestly, I almost feel like I just want to read this passage and not even say anything about it. And that's hard for a preacher to do, but maybe I can succeed. It's just a wonderful way to end this series, I think. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 50. Now this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. We shall all be transformed. How and when and when will it be complete? Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, And the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when, on that day, when it finally arrives, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption. And when this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then it shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said out loud, Amen. The work that he began to transform you into the likeness of Jesus, he is committed to working until the day that you see him. And he will progressively make you more and more and more like him. He will use his Holy Spirit, which indwells you. He will use his word, and he will use his church. And as he progressively changes us to be more and more like him, then our lives can bring him greater and greater glory and have greater and greater impact. And I know we get frustrated along the journey sometimes, but one glorious day, Jesus is coming, and it will be complete. Praise God for that.